studio by attorney Alan Haugam, Haugam Law Firm here in Wausau. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Well, good. We get you before you head out to the golf course today, I would imagine, right? Well, you know, I mean, if I have to. Uh, if, you just have, a, if you have to. It's exercise. I see. Is that what it is? Okay. All right. 715. I, I, I get much exercise. I take a lot of swings when I play. <laughs> Go so back and forth. Mm, you see the whole course. Absolutely. Sometimes. Yeah. All right, 715-845-2155. And, of course, Alan is here to talk about estate planning issues and things like that. So if you have questions about that, and I'm sure we have people out there that maybe are dealing with the death of a loved one and need to know how to deal with all of the stuff that happens when that occurs, because let's face it, in America, we do not plan for these things in many cases. There's a lot of uh, keep the head in the sand, Tom, and yeah. uh, maybe it'll never happen. Uh the, uh, we did have uh, one of my uh, favorite clients uh, who obviously will go unnamed, but he was uh, he was 91, and he said he didn't think he was ready for his estate planning yet because he didn't think the boys were ready to take over the farm just yet. Uh-huh. The boys. The boys were the boys, 60 and 71 and 69. <laughs> Those are the boys. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he was dead serious. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I think most people do have a plan in place before they turn 91, but... What's a good time to be thinking about it? Because let's face it, people in their 20s and even 30s aren't thinking about their mortality. So what do you find is the time, the age frame, when most people want to think about putting something down? I would say there are some triggers or, or some just uh, uh, oh, catalysts that will give you the kind of the, the thought that this should be started. And I think the first one might be uh, just, I mean, for me personally, now this doesn't always happen, Tom, but I think it's, when you think about if your stuff would go to somebody that you don't want it to go to, you know, if you say if something happens to me, if I'm single and I have a job and I've got a, you know, some some group life insurance at work and a couple of bucks in the 401k plan, and and if something happens to me and I'm single and I don't have any kids and it's going to go to my parents, you know, would do they want it? Do they need it? Would that be better served going to, uh, you know, my significant other or or? But certainly, if you get married, you know, it it just makes sense. If you have a child. You know, a lot of times we'll talk to people and they say, well, we don't have any assets. You know, we have an apartment. Uh, we got car payments. We might have student loan payments. You know, we're, we have a negative net worth, you know, to start with, like, you know, lots of people do. But uh, we have a baby and we want to make sure that that child has a guardian. You know, who will who will he or she live with? Who will this, you know, infant or two-year-old live with? Well, oftentimes, as crazy as it sounds, it's the person who, you know, runs to the courthouse and shouts the loudest becomes the permanent guardian. It, it, there's kind of a series of things that happen. You're like, that can't be the right answer. So I would say, just do that. It's easy. It, it's it's you know very low impact, low cost. There's lots of uh, simple ways you can do it. I think the next part might be, you know, once you do have, uh, uh, you know, those kids, um, an easy one for people who do have kids. Obviously, not everyone has kids, but maybe that's the easy example first. You know, you always also have a, one of the kids, and they're 11 and eight, and you say, well. Does that group life insurance I have at work or does that life insurance I have just in case something happens to me, you know, is that going to go to the kids as an 11-year-old or an 8-year-old? And thankfully, uh, Wisconsin says, no, we're not going to give it to a minor. We're not going to give it to an 11-year-old. We're going to do something worse. We're going to give it to them when they're 18. <laughs> Far worse age mm. to handle that kind of money. Yeah. And you say, well, that no, that can't be right. You say, yeah, that's actually how it works. So if you've got uh, or you're a single parent. You know, that's the other one. You know, sometimes it's even riskier. You have an, you're a single parent, and you've got the, the group life insurance plan at work, or you've, you've got a couple dollars in equity in the house. You know, obviously now these days, you don't even have to make a payment, and the equity in the house has gone up in the last couple of years. But uh, you say if you pass away or anything happens unexpectedly, now that 
child gets that money in cash on their 18th birthday. And then what happens? You say, well, do kids make great money decisions on their 18th birthday? And usually not. Now, that doesn't mean they're not good kids. We happen to have a, an 18-year-old in the house right now, uh, fantastic kids. But, but you know, sometimes those kids will look at it and say, You wouldn't want to hand her a $200,000 life insurance policy right now. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, you because know, it gets pretty tough to wake up for those 8 a.m. classes yeah. at the, uh, you know, the local college. It, and you say, or even to get a job, you know, we'll have people say, what do I need a job for? You know, I have more, I get a job so I can save money and, and have money so I can buy something. Well, I skipped all those steps and I have the money right now. Uh, so it really kills motivation. I have a, a friend of mine, uh, an attorney uh, outside Wisconsin, who has always said, kind of joked around and just says, you know, if you really, really dislike a kid, I mean, you really want to just destroy their future, just give them a huge chunk of money on their 18th birthday. You know, it will always end up horribly. And this isn't to be a downer. You know, it's not. Uh, but but I think it's the reality of it is you say, just make sure that doesn't happen. So I say, Tom, those are some of the early motivators where people would say, you know, what do we do about it? Where do we start? So then what are the first things they do at that point? Really what ends up happening is I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the easy example is um, the free example is, you know, just find your local estate planning attorney and just say, what what do I not know? You know, because. Most people we talk to, most parents, if you talk to them and you say, yeah, we do have a couple bucks in the 401k plan, or we do have, you know, that life insurance at work, or maybe we're, we're one step ahead of the game and we realize that if something happens and we lose our one, one spouse's income forever, you know, we do need a, some life insurance. It doesn't have to be millions, but just something. And, and they kind of look at it and say, uh, who are the beneficiaries of your life insurance? Well, for, the, for married parents, you know, we'll, we'll pick on them. They're easy to pick on. They say the beneficiaries, 99% of the time, are each other first and the kids second. And you say, okay, would that work? You know, it's almost like giving kids money on their 18th birthday. They're, they are listed as the secondary beneficiaries. I always tell people, what you should do is name the spouse first and just give it to charity second. You know, just give it to somebody else. The kids will end up better. The charity will end up better. You know, your kids will be better human beings if they're 18 and 19 and they're broke than if they're 18, 19 with $200,000. Um, Nobody ever does that. No, nobody ever does that, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Then they say, okay, what's plan C? <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you say, okay, well, well, maybe can we accomplish both of those things? You know, can you do just a little tiny bit of planning to say, I want the kids to be able to use that money on their 18th birthday for anything responsible? Can you, can you change that? Can you say they don't get the money until they're 30? Absolutely. But I think, you know, then you, then you look at people and they say, well, I was responsible at 27. You know, I was responsible at 24. Or, you know, we got married when we were 23. And, you know, so, so you say, well, how do you how do you bridge that? How do you get the best of both worlds? And I think, Tom, you know, one of the things you can do is just say, can I set that up? Can I do just, like I said, a little bit, little bit of, of planning ahead of time where you say that money, whether it's home equity, 401K, the, the life insurance, whatever it is, that that's going to be only used for that child or, or each portion is for each child. And, and they can use it at 18 for only the responsible things. And the responsible things might be school or a good, solid, used car to get to school or it's a down payment on their first house or getting married themselves or health care or whatever it might be, starting their own small business. But at what age are they old enough to make those decisions? Because maybe what we'll do is we'll have someone help them decide what responsible means when they're 18 or 20 or 22 or, or in that range. And that might be, you know, you can pick. Is that going to be... My siblings, my sister going to be the one who does that? Or is, is there another, you know, responsible person? But then at some point, yeah, I think, you know, just based on age, they will be old enough to decide what to use it for. And they can use it for anything, even if someone else doesn't think it's responsible.
pretty good way to bridge both of those gaps. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. If you have a question for Alan this morning, uh, give us a call. Uh, he can talk about anything regarding uh, estate planning or issues like that. Of course, as we have always said, he did go to law school, and so he can answer any legal questions. The rumor's true, Tom. <laughs> Went to it and graduated from <laughs> law school, passed the bar and everything. So, yeah, legal questions of any kind we can dive into today. Of course, his his uh, area of expertise is estate planning and, and all of the things that go with that. I'll tell you what, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Actually, before we take a break, I see we've got the phone lighting up, so why don't we do that? We'll go to the phone first. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, you're talking to Rick. Hey, Rick, you're on with Alan. Go ahead. Good morning, Rick. Yeah. How does a person go about putting, like, a grandchild on your house to let you know let them have the house when we pass? And uh, I guess you have this estate planning. How do you set it up to where the state don't come back if something ever happens to us health-wise and takes you know things away? I'll hang up and listen to you, okay? All right, thanks for the call. No, it's, it's a great question, Rick, and that's one that comes up, I would say, over and over and over again. Uh, it's the, and I say you have two different things. You, you really have two different goals there. One is you want to get the house to the grandchild. And in other families, it might be to the child or to six children or whatever it is. But you want to get it to the next generation. Your, your case, a grandchild, which means they're obviously a little bit younger. Um, and then the other thing is, the, I think the second part is, how do you keep the, the government away from it? Well, those are completely different. And, and I would say there's ways that you can get things to a grandchild, uh, get the house in particular to a grandchild a little bit easier. But uh, the problem is the government has a right to it for the rest of your lifetime, or if you're married, it's your joint lifetime. So, and, and you know, this any creditor really does, but the, the government side of it is probably more the long-term care and the nursing home care, and we can talk about that later in the show even. Uh, so you say, ugh. Because you can just put, you know, there's, there's different ways. There's about three or four different ways you can put a child's name on a house. I'm not saying they're a good idea because it does cause a child or a grandchild a couple of extra steps that you could have avoided, but I would say it'll get it to them. But then you say, on the other hand, I also want to protect it from the government. And if you're telling me the easy ways to give it to a child when I die also include the government having a right to that house between now and then, well, that doesn't work. Well, can I can I figure this out that it, it's protected from the government? You say, well, yeah, you can do that. Pretty easy way to do that, but but then it doesn't go to the grandchild. So how do I have both? And and you can. And I think that's where you know. And Tom, we've even you know kind of talked about can you serve both of those? Sometimes people will call this a split interest. You know, we want to stay there, we want to live there, we want it to go to a particular person when we die, but we also want to just reduce the cost. Is there a way you can do it? And there's there's a, a number of different ways you can do it. And it's just a touch of planning. Tom, that's a good example of. You know, you you know, find your friendly local estate planning attorney and, and really go through that. All right, I'll tell you what. We'll take a break here. You can come back and talk about uh, a couple of those ways that, that okay. he, could, uh, he could do that. So we'll take a break first, come back with more. You're listening to Attorney Alan Haugam this morning on WSAU. WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Attorney Alan Haugam here on the program this morning. Before the break, we had the phone call. Uh, a gentleman was asking how he could get the house to his grandchild and then also avoid the government from taking the house if he or his wife got sick. And you said there are some possible options for that. There are. And, you know, Tom, I think this is one. This is maybe, uh, and, and Rick, just to answer that question, it's it's a little bit more than, hey, do I is this a five-minute conversation? I fill in the blanks and I just sign it. I think... You know, just figure out what your goals are. I think you've done a great job, frankly. you got two really good goals to begin with. You know exactly which person, which grandchild uh, you want the house to get to. That's good. 
then secondly, can we keep the government away from it? Well, those two things, the first one's easy, the second one's difficult. Can we accomplish them both? And you say, well, let's, let's walk our way through it. I think the first thing is, you know, with grandchild. Now, the grandchild, for some people, grandchild means that's a 12-year-old, and uh, other people say, no, 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 my grandchild's 30. You know, so there's obviously a big difference between that. Let's just assume this is the 30-year-old version. The, what you can do is, you know, you could, I would not recommend this, it is legal to draft some form of, like, transfer on death deed for real estate. Uh, those also, uh, I think, now this is, my, by my unofficial count, Tom, I think those lead the, the state bar convention in horror stories. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of ways. You're like, this should be easy. And you say, well, what we're really trying to do, we really just want to avoid a couple of, you know, just extra transfer fees. We still have to pay some transfer fees, so that doesn't really help us. We still want to get it to them. It's going to get to them. Um, now, when you do that, uh, if it's going to one person, I think it's possible. If it's going to multiple people, I think it's a, it's a mess, and I would avoid it. But if it's going to one person, I think it's possible. Uh, but now, if that grandchild is married or will ever be married in any time, um, you know, their spouse is realistically going to have a right to half of it. It's just sort of the way it works. Not the day they inherit it, but but over time. So can you give it to them in a way that that, that child or grandchild can receive the house uh, but it's not subject to divorce. And Wisconsin says, yes, you can do that. Now, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, it takes a little bit of just, is that a goal? And if you say, that's not a goal, don't care. I would just as soon give this house to my grandchild and, and their spouse. Well, then do it. Give it to bo- I'd rather give it to both of them, just kind of skip all the, the intermediate steps. But if you say, no, I hope nobody ever gets divorced, frankly, um, ever. But uh, if anybody gets divorced, I'd rather not our home you know, go to you know, my grandchild's ex-spouse, number one. Second... Uh, that doesn't keep the government away from it, though. Uh, so we we want to get it to the child. Good. Can we protect it from divorce? Yes. Uh, but what's next? Can we keep the government away from it? A lot of times what that means is either taxes, fees, or long-term care. So with the taxes, yes, there's a way you can do it to, to give it to them with uh, very little uh, a tax. There's a bit of a transfer fee for any piece of real estate. Can you give it to them in a way that will give them the best capital gains tax benefit um, from literally the moment they inherit it, and you say yes. So there's, uh, among those different ways to give things to kids, if you do it as directly, and, or grandchildren, as you said, Rick, uh, if you give it to them directly, and depending on how you give it to them directly, um, you might be giving them a real capital gains tax problem, uh, especially for the farm, the hunting land, the cottage, uh, but even for the house. You say you can give them kind of an embedded capital gain and and Anytime that gets transferred in the future or if that gets sold in the future, there's a capital gains tax that otherwise they wouldn't have to pay. So I think number one, Rick, let's skip the tax. Can we do that? Yes. Okay, so we want to get it to a grandchild. Do we care about protecting it at divorce? Yes or no? I'll leave that up to everyone. Um, do we care about the tax? I think, Tom, universally, uh, the tax people say, uh, you know, individuals say, do I want to pay more tax or less tax? Well, um, I think we got a. so far in my career, we're about 100% on <laughs> can we pay less tax. Yep. All right, number one, uh-huh. good there. So let's do that. And then the other part, Rick, for the government side is can you protect it from the long-term care? I would say this is the one that does require a little bit of extra thought ahead of time. But if you say can we accomplish all those other goals and protect it from the long-term care, you can. Uh, now, how you do that um, is is probably the most impactful. And when we just say it, we just want to make sure we're talking about your long-term care, not your grandchild's. We can get to that too even. But but if you, Rick, or, or if you're married, your spouse – 
the if either one of you ever needs long-term care and you have given that house to the child to the grandchild or you've designated it to the grandchild the government can come back in and and step between the two of you you know it can step between you and your grandchild and say no 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 we get the house you're like but i did this two years ago or three years ago or 20 years ago um the uh, a few years ago the state changed the rule uh, back in 2014 they used to be where you could give a house to a child or a grandchild and stay living in it. And as long as you lived in it for three years or five years, there's a couple of rules there. But as long as you did it, then that house, you could live in it forever, and it would eventually go to that child or grandchild. And, and that was the whole point of it. Back in, in 2014, they said, if you do that now, if you give that house to that child or that grandchild, and you stay living in it, they call it a life estate, but if you stay living in it, um, you know, the, hopefully that grandchild's not going to kick you out of the house, Rick, but, uh, but if you stay living in it, then the state says we will have a permanent right to some percentage of that house if you ever need long-term care. I don't care if it was three years ago, five years ago. I don't care if it was 40 years ago. If, if either you or your spouse ever needs any kind of long-term care or nursing home care, that goes into the calculation, and the state says we are going to jump back into this conversation, and we're going to have a right to a pretty big percentage, not a little one, but depending on how many of what your age is, you know, oftentimes it's somewhere in the 40 to 60 percent range. I mean, it's, it's big. And, and it's all fact-based. It's all personal to, to whomever. So that is where, yeah, Rick, I think it's a, it's a wonderful idea, and it is one that is definitely something you can accomplish. But you, you really just have to make sure you do it right ahead of time because you're not going to do it a second time. you got to do it right the first time, and, and then you can accomplish it. It's not something that he can do himself. He needs to talk to somebody like you. Yeah, and it's, it's one where uh, it's... It's this isn't just, you know, filling out a form. I think what it is is list the goals first and then say, you know, are there multiple ways I can accomplish it? If, if it is, you know, how do you do it a couple different ways? And then which one do you like best? And part of it, too, is what's the cost of this stuff? You know, you no matter what you do, make sure you figure out what's the cost ahead of time. Whoever you talk to, tell them, OK, I got it. This makes sense. Now, what will it cost before we get started or and before you pay a dime? And I think that's that's really important just for your peace of mind. And if you say, yeah, that makes sense, um, then, then you go ahead and do it. All right, we're going to take a break here for some news. We'll come back with more. Phone lines are open. If you have a question for Alan this morning, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. You're an essential worker, and the Department of Labor helps ensure you receive the protections you deserve. Visit our website or call 866-4-US-WAGE. That's 866-487-9243. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Labor. You took the first step and quit smoking. But even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took so grateful I didn't hesitate to call 911. A quick reaction can make all the difference. Learn signs of stroke and call 911 immediately if something seems off with someone you love. Visit StrokeAwareness.com. Sponsored by Genentech and NAEMT. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with attorney Alan Hogum. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. If you have an estate planning question today, I've had all kinds of questions for him when the microphones are off here. I'm getting a lot of free <laughs> advice this morning, and I like it. It's a great. It's like two different shows, Tom. There's the one when the mics are hot and yeah, it's going out. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. as soon as we touch the button and say uh, we're going to uh, break for a commercial, then it's we have an entirely different set of topics. I just have to make sure I, I keep the mics turned <laughs> off when that happens. 715-845-2155. You know, we mentioned earlier um, nursing home insurance and what is and is not recoverable by the state to cover the cost of nursing home. And before we dive into that, I see we do have the phone lighting up, so let's go to that. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, my name is Jim. Hey, Jim, you're uh, on with Alan. Go morning, ahead. Jim. 
I, I want to stay with the current topic a little bit, particularly you're talking about a house, let's say it's owned by a couple jointly, it passes on to one or eventually they both die, passes on beyond that. Um, you mentioned capital gains would be a consideration. Isn't capital gains excluded unless the gain is at least 250000 or or more for married couples? Yeah. That's that's the whole, that's exactly what we're talking about, Jim. You hit the nail on the head. So what ends up happening with this, and, and what Jim's question is, because I mentioned something during the last uh, segment that said if Rick gives that house to his child or his grandchild in a in one particular way, he can save some tax. If he does it in a different way, he he avoids the tax. So let's go back. And Jim, thanks for pointing that out. So what happens is a lot of people say, well, when you sell your house, you don't have to pay any capital gains tax. Well, that's not exactly true. I would say it's it's usually true, but there's some rules. And Jim, you hit you you got it. So when you sell a home, uh, your principal residence, your primary residence that you have lived in, and you have owned it at least two years out of the last five years. So you lived in at least two years out of the last five years. Lived in it and owned it, then you don't have to pay any tax up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of gain per person. So you can be a single person, buy a house for a hundred thousand bucks, and as long as when you sell it, it's less than three fifty, you know, no gain. But you have to live in it, and you have to own it. Primary residence, two years out of the last five years. Say, okay, so far so good. So Jim, it can't be something where you bought the house, and then you've been renting it out for the last ten years as you live somewhere else. That doesn't count. Um, you say, okay, we we got it. Now it's also something where you can't buy a house and then six months later sell it and expect, you know, if there's a gain. You have to pay a partial tax. There's a kind of a sliding scale. It's pro rata. But we got it. So far, so good. Um, when you pass away, obviously you're not selling it. But if you just pass away, someone can come in. We always, always recommend getting an appraisal. And you, you get an, especially these days, you know, how home prices have gone up in the last couple of years. So you get an appraisal, and then they reset the cost basis. And, and they say, okay, well, Jim and his, and his, his wife bought this house for $100,000. Uh, uh, they passed away and the house was worth 175. If you, Jim, give that house when you pass away to the child or the grandchild for 175, and then they sell it two months later, or they sell it as part of the estate, there's no tax due. And you go, oh, that's pretty good. You got a, a step up in in cost base. You didn't sell it to get that 250 thousand dollar exemption per person or, or 500 thousand dollar exemption per couple. But you just transferred it when you died. So far, so good. So we're, we're good avoiding taxes. Two different scenarios here. Uh, if, however, you say, well, I want to give that house. This gets back to Rick's, one of you know the different examples we had around Rick's question. The, if I want to give that house to a child or a grandchild, and um, I'm going to stay living in it. I'm going st- to stay living in it. I'm going to keep what's called a life estate. If you do that, then... You know, you're putting it in the child's name. You stay living there. And people do this for long-term care, for nursing home care purposes. They, or they used to, I should say. Uh, up until 2014, this made sense. Post-2014, they say, if you do that, Jim, you put it in your, your child's name or children's name. You stay living there. You keep that life estate. Well, when you pass away, for tax purposes, you still get the tax benefit. You still get the step-up in basis. But the state says, we will have a right if either you or your spouse needs long-term care or nursing home care of any kind. Some pretty big percentage of that house is in the calculation, and they will have a right to it. 
they'll put a lien on it in one way or the other at some point or another. And you go, wait a minute. I thought we figured out a way to avoid the tax if we sell it. We, we figured out a way to avoid the capital gains tax if we give it to children. But now you're telling me that the government has a right to it simply because we kept the right to live there. We kept this life estate. We kept the right to live in this house. Well, what if, what if, all right, well, all right, we'll, we'll skip that one then. What if we give the house to the kids? We put the kids' names right on it, the grandchild's name right on it. But we don't keep that life estate. We don't keep the right to live in it. We just put the kids' names on it, and we kind of sort of hope that they're going to do the right thing. Hope that they won't kick you out. Right. And we have had people say, my children would never do that. We have had kids do it. Oftentimes this is your child's spouse or your child's uh, financial issue that you didn't know about. But we've had kids kick parents out. It's probably the most awful thing that's ever happened I've ever seen in, in my career. It's you give a house to kids and then they kick you out of it. Now, not very often, thankfully, but but it's possible. If you say, no, no, I'm not worried about that, not worried about it at all. Jim, you and your spouse say, I'm going to put the house in the kids' names. I'm not going to keep the life estate. I trust my kids. Uh, I trust their financial status. No problem whatsoever. And then you live in that house. You still live in the house. And then years later, you pass away. Now, you do not get the capital gains step up in basis. And if the kids sell the house after you die, now they do have to pay a tax. And they have to pay a tax that's going to go all the way back to whatever you and your wife pay for it. And you go, are you kidding me? This is a disaster. We want, you know, what we want to do is we want to get the house to the kids and we want to avoid the tax and we want to avoid the government coming in and saying we have a right to 30% or 40% or 60% or whatever that percentage is if we need long-term care. Well, can we do all three of those things? Yes, you can. But really, that Tom, that gets back to what we were talking about before. You know, the different ways to do that, I would say that's where you need to, to grab one of those estate planning attorneys, those elder law attorneys, and, and find someone you like who can explain this to you, not for general purposes, but for your family, your house, that value. Can you accomplish all three of those things? Yes. You just have to do it ahead of time. So, Well, a couple of these nasty curves that you're talking about are keyed off of actually giving the house to the kids while you're still alive. Correct. Yep. That's how you get in trouble. If you don't, if you just put it in your will or, say, if you put it in your irrevocable trust and that you're counting on they'll end up with it, that avoids these things? Yeah, well, it avoids two out of the three. So what you did, if you put it in your will, put it in your revocable trust, Jim, what you did is you said, yep, uh, the house goes to our children when we pass away. Um, so mission accomplished there. Um, if you do it in a will, it's still subject to if a child gets divorced or a child has you know health issues or, or whatever that is. But it gets to the right person. Um, and you do get the tax benefits. You get a step up in basis. What you do not do is, is those two things do not protect you from the long-term care or the nursing home side of it if either you or your spouse needs long-term care for any time during the rest of your lifetime. So if even, you say, if it's, even if it's an irrevocable trust? Well, there's, there's different types. We probably don't use that term too much anymore. Um, but I would say there's, there's different types of, of it, it's maybe just not the, the basic garden variety, you know, the, the very, very first simplest trust. But you say, can I have the kind of trust where it gets to the right person? Can I have the kind of trust where it resets the cost basis? And can we protect it? Can you do all three of those things? Yes, you can. You don't have to. And, and keep in mind, all the things we talk about, none of this is something mandatory. You say, well, you have to do this, Jim. It's what everybody does. You don't have to do anything. You don't Maybe have to. If, he, you. if he had the trust uh, drawn up uh, 30 years ago, it's probably not, it wouldn't work anymore. Well, I would have say, it redrawn. I would say 30 years ago. If you did it before 2009, is probably a big turning point, and certainly uh, 2014. But if you did it prior to that, people just didn't 
It wasn't on their radar. They just weren't concerned about it. And I know because I had those meetings <laughs> over and over, and people said, I don't care. Nope, don't care. Don't care. Not about that. Well, when they changed the, the nursing home rules and they made them so much more severe, and I think the combination is with the, long, the cost of actual long-term care. You know, I mean, the state publishes the average cost of nursing home care every year. Um, the, the 2022, they said the average cost of nursing home is a little over $9,300 a month just for the room and board part of it. You know, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So since 2009, that's when we've gotten um, just more and more questions. Just, it's just gone straight up. Um, and, and, Jim, that's where you'd, you'd want to combine a couple of these things. So you might say, hey, we want to live in this house, and we want to, can we sell it? Yeah, but, you know, we're not doing anything permanently. We could sell it, we can move, we can remodel, we can change, we can go put, move into a condo, move into an apartment, we can do whatever we want, but we want to get the tax benefits, and we want to protect it from the long-term care and the nursing home side of it. Can we do all those things? Yes. But it, that's just the planning ahead of time. And there's, there's a little bit more than just the, the simplest of all simple trusts to do that, but it's very easy, you know, as long as you plan ahead. Yeah. You call that easy. Sounds like you're a miracle man. <laughs> well, it sounds you know, like you need an appointment with him on I enjoy uh, this sometime. Yeah. I always, people always say, it like, this sounds, you know, so my job, I, I think, Jim, my job is to make things that, that if it's the very first time you ever saw it, you might say, this sounds like a lot. I, my job is to make it easier for the person receiving that information. So they go, oh, I get it. I can stay in the house. Yep. I get all the tax benefits. Yep. I can get it to the right kids. Yep. Uh, I can protect from long-term care. I'm like, yeah, if you want to, you can do that ahead of time, too. Um, I can do all these things. Yeah. And then I can still sell the house if I want to. I am not think I'm going to sell the house because I love this house. But could I? Yeah, you can do all those things and get all the tax benefits, all that stuff. Um, it's really just set a list of goals and then talk to someone who can help you just check those boxes on it. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's, a, it's accomplishable. It really is. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, that's why you got up early and went to those tort law and contract law and tax <laughs> law classes, right? It was. You know, and I'm one of the few people I really enjoyed law school. I just loved it. People I worked with, or I worked with, people I, uh, I went to school with were like, oh, it's grueling. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. it's a 100 hours a week of studying, you know, all that stuff. I just loved it. It was it is my topic. I was I was meant to do this. All right. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. If you have a question for Alan, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with more here on WSAU. What you can do for your country. FM 99.9 9 and 95.1. WSAU. And we're back. I'm in Tom, I'm Tom King in the studio. Alan Haugam, attorney at law, joining us this morning, pinch hitting from Earl Kelch. And we've got a few minutes left. If you have a question for Alan regarding estate planning or anything in that area of, uh, of work, give us a call, 715-845-2155. We're going to uh, dive into the nursing home care situation. You mentioned the cost of nursing home care. So obviously... Uh, folks have to ask themselves the question, are you going to roll the dice and hope that you don't ever end up in a nursing home, or are you going to buy uh, long-term care insurance? And the cost of that is not cheap. So, Well, it's the kind of thing, Tom, you know, the, the cost of that goes up because if you said, and, and depending on where you read and, and which, who knows what, which group of people they surveyed, you know, the one that we see often is that well, once you reach something like 65, you know, uh, close to two-thirds of all couples, will have someone who needs some some form of, of nursing home care. So not every single person, not every single couple, but but two thirds of couples have at least and you're like, is that right? And and it's it's uh it, it's kind of staggering. Now the difference too is, you know, they'll talk about well how long does someone need long term care? How long does someone need nursing home care? You know, and I think there's kind of the barbell effect. Some people need it for three or four months and a lot of people need it for three or four years. And it's just if you are the person who needs it at 9,300 or 10,000 or 11,000 or whatever it's going to be, 
times a year, times three years, times four years, it can wipe out just an entire life savings. So how do you deal with that? But yeah, that would that would wipe me out in probably a couple of months. So. <laughs> <laughs> what do they throw you on the street then, or what? Is it? It's, well, they they do have you know a part of it. If you gave things away, there is a provision in the um, in the laws where they can um, discharge you. Um, now we haven't had anyone do this, but it's like if if you gave things to kids and then the kids say we don't we refuse to give it back, the state's gonna want it back because they say hey, you gave money to the kids, especially if it's in the last five years. But there's some pretty serious hammers for it. Um, and they literally can discharge you, and you're like, we haven't seen anybody do that, but it's the, the rules are pretty draconian. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Les from Wausau. Hey, Les, you're on with Alan. Go ahead. Good morning, Les. How are you today? Good morning, gentlemen. Good, good. Uh, I asked you this once before, and I got the answer, but now circumstances have changed. My wife's sister died, and the house was not her house, but another house that her sister is living in was deeded over to us. Okay. For basis purposes, would you recommend us getting an appraisal on it soon? We don't plan on getting rid of it anytime soon. Yeah, and this is this is one less. You're saying that that your wife's sister's some some piece of real estate, some house or some piece of real estate transferred to you after she passed away or because she passed away. That's that, correct. Okay, I would I, I would strongly recommend getting an appraisal less. Uh, and it's the type of thing where people say, "Well, I don't need an appraisal. We're not selling it." can't you just grab the property tax bill? The property tax bill says what this house is worth. And you pull it up and it says the property tax bill says, you know, the house is worth 137,000. And I say, Les, if you sold it tomorrow, would you sell it for 137? You go, well, no, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, that house is worth 185. If it's worth a dime, I'm, I'm happy that they're, you know, I don't want to alert anybody to make me pay more property taxes. But if he's not selling it right away, and obviously the market's been red hot, as you said, yep. the price of houses has been going up. Maybe wait until the market cools off a bit before you get another appraisal, and then you won't have to pay as much tax. No, it's the opposite, Tom. Really? So that's the you want to get the appraisal as soon as possible, and I would love to get an appraisal in a red hot market because the they'll say it the appraisal number is high, unless what that means is you get to reset your cost basis. And for people out there who are not accountants. Uh, when you reset your cost basis, it means that if you ever sell it later, so let's say less that you got this house and the, the property tax bill says it's 137 and the appraiser says it's really worth 187 and you say, okay, well, we're not going to sell it. But then years later you, you do sell it and you say, well, you know what? We had it. It was kind of a second house or, or maybe you had it and you know, your son and, and his wife and their kids are living in it, you know, whatever works it, all those kinds of things. You'd say the, uh, because uh, you're a good dad, you let your son live in it, right? But but you say, you know, when if at some point you are going to sell it, you say, well, we never thought we'd sell it back in 2022. That was never the plan, but you know, times change and things happen, and and, and life kind of matures. And you say, yeah, I think we're going to sell it. Well, when you sell it later, because it wasn't your house, it was you know, it was kind of the the second house or somebody else was living there, or, you know, family. You sell it later, they say, okay, when you sell it later, it's it's worth 250. Okay, it went up. That's good. You got to pay a couple bucks that were the capital gains tax. So you don't pay the you pay but, from the one eighty seven mark and not the yes. one thirty seven. Yeah, mark. the jumping off point for how much tax you pay ah. might go from one eighty seven to two fifty. So there's a couple of bucks in tax there, but they say no, no, no. You got to pay from one thirty seven to two fifty. That's the gain. And you say, well, that that wasn't really what it was worth. They say, well, you never got an appraisal. Ah, so the yeah, only okay. value we can go back and find is the is the value on the property tax bill. Now, is an appraisal going to cost you a few hundred dollars? Yeah, it's going to, but it's going to save you, you know, that might save you $10,000 or more. And it's just, you know, you, you get it in the right place. I think that is a much better way to do it.
personally. So, so that'd be my recommendation, Les. But if you ever ever have any questions, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm sure you know anybody listening here, just you know, call us at the office and we'll kind of walk you through it. Thank you very much for your help, John. Right, you're welcome. Les. Thanks for yeah, the call. Appreciate good morning. it. Hey, we're just about out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday or actually on Tuesday this week, how can they do that? Well, I think uh, the easiest way. If you want to call, we've got our off our main office in Wausau. We also have our office in Rhinelander. Uh, the easiest way, the, the phone number is, is area code 715-843-5001, 843-5001, or on the Internet at haugumlaw.com, H-O-U-G-U-M-L-A-W, haugumlaw.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. Thanks, Tom. Have a great Memorial Day. C- coming up on 9 o'clock, we've got the news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up. Brewer Baseball this afternoon. The Brewers and Cardinals from St. Louis. Pre-game show here at 1240 on WSAU. The life of every child is precious beyond